Are you a real estate professional looking to save on your tax bill? Have you ever heard of a cost segregation study? Yona Weiss is a business director at Madison Specs and national cost segregation leader. He's going to tell you all about cost segregation and how you can apply this to your real estate properties to save on your tax bills. You can even apply it retroactively to properties you already own. He's going to tell you the average amount of savings professionals get from having this study completed and why your standard tax accountant cannot help you with this, where you need to go to find a qualified engineer. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Robert Show. This, this is The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Yuna. Welcome to the show. Lots of people have some kind of real estate in their portfolio, and so I think it's key to understand what a cost segregation study is and how it works. Let's get rolling by giving us a brief background about your business and how you got started. Thanks so much, Joe. It's a pleasure to be joining you today. Uh, cost segregation, yeah, like you said, is a crazy, is crazy thing. People need to know about this. But before we get into that, a little background about me. My passion is really in teaching. I was an educator. I was a teacher for about 15 years. And so that's really where um, I kind of see myself. And even in this role, even in real estate, I see myself as more of an educator than an investor. Uh, because even when dealing with investors or dealing with clients, it's more about just, you know, kind of understanding them. And a good teacher wants to understand the student or the person they're dealing with uh, to, to give them over um, the right way, you know, because everyone understands, everyone learns differently. So uh, about five years ago, I found myself looking for, for something a little more than the teaching profession provided. And I, I kind of stumbled upon real estate. I had a bunch of friends doing different things in real estate, got my feet wet in uh, commercial mortgages for a little while, just doing um, brokering them and hard money loans for a little bit. And uh, a good friend of mine, we actually did some fix and flips together, uh, did some residential brokering. And so kind of learning many different facets to real estate. Until I stumbled upon this company that I work for currently the past few years, Madison Commercial Real Estate Services. We do a bunch of things, really kind of niche services for the real estate, commercial real estate investors, um, owners. So one of them is cost segregation. And that's, that's my primary focus. And in doing that, I try to just help as many people as possible in, um, you know, save taxes, which I think nobody, nobody wants that <laughs> silent partner of Uncle Sam. So the more you can save, the, the better. So what do you think it is the lore of everybody getting into real estate? You know, is it just that it's like everyone thinks that's the way to riches? Because I'm just, you know, it's just you look around, everyone always talks about real estate. They always want to dabble. They want to try that first fix and flip. And you kind of said that you, you know, stepped in and started on some commercial deals. So what is kind of your take on that? You know, real estate has so many um, aspects to it. And there are so many ways to get involved. But in the end of the day, the industry itself provides so many opportunities to, uh, to create wealth and to, you know, to, to find, find the right space. So there, yeah, there, there's a lot of um, hype, I think, you know, TV shows and all this kind of stuff <laughs> about it and surrounding it. But the truth is, if you educate yourself and you surround yourself with the right people, you'll find it's, it's relatively um, easy to get involved and to, and to just jump in. Yeah. And one word that sticks out uh, on top of that is make sure you have patience. It's not an overnight success. Real estate's a long-term game and, uh, you know, prepare to be in it for the long term, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. After you get into real estate, you know, now you're starting to make money. Obviously people have the, uh, have to tackle the tax problem. Right. And one way they may do that is through, I guess, a cost segregation study. So can you tell us about what that is? Sure. Cause it's not, it's not just about how much you make. It's really more about how much you keep, you know, it's kind of cliche, but the truth of the matter is if you are making a lot of money, which real estate tends to be a space where you can make a lot of money, there happens to be in the tax code, so many tax benefits that allow real estate investors to keep the money they're making instead of, you know, we come from this W2, this corporate America type mentality where you have to pay your taxes out of your paycheck. You don't even get to keep the money that you earn. Whereas real estate allows you to file your own taxes and file how much you earned and how many deductions you have. And therefore, in the end of the day, what's your tax liability, how much you can keep of that. And so the goal is to reduce that tax liability as much as possible, if not entirely, to keep all of the money that you earn. Um, and essentially, that's what cost segregation helps to do more than almost any other uh, tax benefit that's out there. So how does that, you know, I hear about depreciation. So how, do those, how are those two different? Right. So conservation is really just an advanced form of depreciation. Uh, some people like to say it's like depreciation on steroids. It's like taking um, and depreciation. Let's just maybe take a, a step back, understand what that is, because when you think about real estate, you're thinking about appreciation, right? You want mm -hmm. it to go up in value. You want as time goes on and depreciation. The definition is things go down in value as time goes on. But from a tax perspective, it's literally just a borrowed term. Like the IRS gives you a tax deduction called depreciation based on the principle that your building is going to be going down in value as time goes on, even though intrinsically it's going up in value with time. Um, and so when you buy a property based on the day that you bought it and the purchase price that was paid for, you can now take that entire purchase price. Okay. And this, and now take that as a depreciation deduction. What that means is you subtract a certain amount for land, which does not depreciate. And then the remaining amount, you can now take a little amount every single year for 27 and a half years. Okay. That's, that's what the IRS says. Or for commercial buildings, it's 39 years. But essentially what you're doing is you're taking a little bit, um, about a two to 3% of your purchase price. And you're taking that as a tax deduction, income tax write off, um, right off the bat. What cost segregation does is it breaks down the building into different categories and every asset depreciates on a different schedule. So you can now take certain things like personal property, like carpeting and, and fixtures and furniture and appliances that actually depreciate on a five-year schedule. So you can now take that value and write it off over a five-year period, which means you're having in the first five years of ownership, a huge amount, instead of a two to 3% deduction every year, you can be getting you know, a five or 10% deduction uh, which, you know, it translates as doubling or tripling your tax deductions just by doing this simple process called cost segregation. So an investor would want one of these because they can offset more of their income up front versus later. Correct. When you're offsetting your income up front, what you're doing is increasing your cash flow, uh, which in turn allows you to use that money to reinvest, um, to put back into the property, add more value, create more benefits. And if you're buying more than one property um, over a course of period of time, you can use these benefits from one to the next. And so it's basically just, it's a strategy to scale 
even further without having it to worry about income tax. So what kind of qualifications do you have to have to perform these type of studies? Um, so, well, the IRS requires someone with um, experience in engineering. And so they really, this is, this is why it's not so heard of that much. Okay. So first of all, when you talk about taxes, right? As soon as you talk about taxes, people's brains shut off, right? They're like, okay, I don't know anything. Taxes, I don't want to deal with. I have an accountant, right? The problem is that this method of conservation, it's an engineering method that applies to taxes. And yes, it is you know, delineated in the tax code. Okay, you can go to the IRS website and learn all about the cost segregation audit techniques guide. However, accountants don't do it since it requires this engineering component. So it's like you assume that it's taxes, my brain shuts off, I'm gonna to go to my accountant, they're definitely gonna do it if it's beneficial, right? Wrong, because they're not, because they're just not equipped to. So you need to have a third party firm who does deal with this, who are engineers and accountants and do this full, you know, full time that they can now go ahead and, and perform this study. Now, what type of properties can this be used on? Can it be used in the residential space, commercial, all? It can be used on any property besides for your personal residence. Okay. So any property whatsoever. Um, the benefits are going to be proportional. So it's going to be more benefit the bigger the property is, meaning the more purchase price, the more value that's in that building, because we're taking a percentage of that purchase price, remember, and we're able to accelerate that depreciation. So we're able to take more upfront. However, when you're talking about smaller, lesser value properties, that tax benefit is proportionally less. So, you know, it can be single families, can be multifamily, can be commercial, retail, office, stuff. So it doesn't matter. Every single type of property uh, can benefit from this. Got it. And so when I decide that I want to go ahead and get a cost segregation study done on a property I own, at, at what part in the process do I typically order that? The first thing to do is um, when you're ready to buy a property or when you're, even if you own a property for a number of years, you can do this also, but to reach out to a firm that will provide you like an upfront analysis for free. So you can already know if it makes sense. And that's part of the due diligence process. A lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, I'm looking to buy this property. I'm going to pay X. This is what it is. Give me some details about the property We're able to run an estimate and you're able to see upfront if it even is beneficial or not, or to what extent it is beneficial. And then once you close on the property, you know, it's best to get it done in the first year, you can now go ahead and, and you know, can engage with a company and uh, have the engineers come to the property, create this whole study, which in turn will produce a one page depreciation schedule. So it'll create this whole way of how you're supposed to depreciate your property in a new kind of advanced method but essentially that's all it does. So if I am, in, am buying a property and I want to provide you that information, what is that information? Is that the age of the property? Is that how old you know, the roof is? Or what are those aspects that you need to know in order to present a uh, projection? So there's actually a lot of details that our engineers look at to run that uh, estimate. Um, however, most of the information that they'll need, they can get from public records. So we'll need to look at yeah, the age of the property, um, age of you know, different assets in there, the number of units, uh, the unit layout, right? So if you have, let's say, a, you know, a hundred unit multifamily building, but you have, you know, three, uh, two bedroom, you know, 32 bedroom, et cetera, you, the unit layout of each uh, we'll need to know square footage, the uh, number of parking spaces, whole square footage. But essentially from the address, 
we'll get all that from public records. So in short, we'll need the address of the property. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and for most of real estate investors might not be organized. That's best, right? Here's the address, email, you know, give me, give me, give me back something, exactly. right? <laughs> we'll need the, the address, we'll need to know the purchase price because the basis, the tax you know, benefits is going to be based fully on that purchase price. And we need to know the, uh, the closing date because depreciation is prorated to the day and the year that you buy it. So to understand at least the first year tax benefits, it's best to, to know when the closing date is. So those three points uh, of data is enough for us to get the rest that we need to run uh, an estimate. Is there any type of uh, back of the envelope formula when looking at a property, like a percentage or anything that someone could kind of gauge what they might be able to you know, take up as a quick upfront deduction? There is, but it, it varies from property to property. Um, and it varies from asset you know, type to different asset type. I have a, if anyone wants to, to know something like, feel free to reach out to me, but you know, multifamily, for example, for, for example, multifamily properties typically uh, run between 20 and 30% of the purchase price to be reallocated to a faster depreciation schedule. So in the five year, which is the personal property I mentioned, there's also stuff called 15 year property, which is land improvements, which uh, outside the building depreciates uh, landscaping, fencing, pavement, concrete, all that kind of stuff. You have a parking lot, all of that has value and that's on a 15 year schedule. So that includes included in the 20 to 30%. So if you, you know, if you buy a million dollar apartment building, you can know approximately two to 300,000 is going to be accelerated depreciation. What assets can give you the highest percent? Um, believe it or not, golf courses and mobile home parks. Par uh, is that are, mobile home park, uh, uh, park owned? Tenant-owned homes. Tenant-owned homes. So specifically, the reason why that is is because when you, any property that you buy, we're looking at the land, we're looking at the building, we're looking at improvements and everything like that. When you buy a golf course or a mobile home park, the, the thing that they have in common is that it's almost entirely land improvements. When you buy the mobile home park and the tenants own all of their homes, essentially all that you own is that land and the concrete pads that are under each home. So essentially what you own is the land improvements. And for... Um, for properties like that, you're looking at anywhere from 50 to 80% of a reallocation to a faster depreciation. So this is huge, especially when considering the new tax law called bonus depreciation, which allows you to take all of that accelerated depreciation upfront in the first year. So you can buy a million dollar mobile home park and literally if it's all tenant owned homes and, you know, obviously other things considered, but potentially take in the first year, uh, you know, a five to $700,000 tax write-off. Um, I'd say that's, that's a home run. Over the last year or so, I was talking with, uh, you know, buddy, I'm you know, as the interest rates and uh, everything have kind of compressed here and everyone is chasing deals. I, I was jokingly say is people are chasing the deals just for the tax deduction, right? So now that you, you know, uh, clarify that mobile home parks can have the highest percentage up front, and they definitely have had quite a compression in their cap rates over the last two years. Do you think a lot of that has to do with that beyond just, you know, the yield? There are, there are a number of different factors, and I'd say that's one of them. Um, another one might be the 1031 exchanges involved that people are just paying uh, higher amounts for properties just in order to find a replacement property. Uh, so there are a lot of factors. I'd say it probably has something to do with it. Cool. And so after I email you the information of the address, 
and you guys kind of put a projection up, I like it and I want to move forward. Typically, you know, what is the cost factor? It's a one-time flat fee based on the scope of work specific to that property. So typically somewhere between, I'd say four to $10,000. Usually multifamily properties are in the smaller range, four to Mm $6,000. So it's usually, um, you know, like I said, for a $500,000 property, you're looking at typically anywhere from 50 to $100,000 of tax benefit to pay a few thousand dollars for that. It makes sense. And, And the more, even if it's a $10 million property, the fee is going to be the same. Um, so it's not contingent to your tax savings. If it's a hundred million dollar property, I mean, it might be a lot bigger. Yep. So there may be a scope <laughs> of work bigger, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's basically a no brainer. Yeah. It's truth, uh, to, to scale or size, typically your nominal fees, your fees become more nominal, right? Exactly. And so if I bought a property, let's say in the last few years and I didn't get a cost seg done, is there any way I could do any kind of look back at this point? Yes. Um, there's something called like a look back study or a retroactive study where without even amending your previous year's tax returns, you can make an adjustment and file a form. It's called a 3115 form. And it allows, we actually do that for our clients for no extra charge, just because we do it all day long, these 3115s. It allows you to catch up any of that accelerated depreciation that you missed in previous years. And so this year you can take a huge chunk load of it um, because you should have taken that beforehand. Got it. And so I, I, I decided to move forward with the order on a property I have. Mm-hmm. And you guys, what, what do you guys do? What does the process look like? Basically three steps. I mean, it's, it's very straightforward, pretty, um, pretty uh, streamlined process. We will, this is actually one thing that has changed with the COVID situation is that for the past 15 years we've been in business operating, one of the integral components of the study is sending one of our engineers to the property. Okay. It's, and so there's the travel to, you know, arranging that we, we switched uh, when COVID hit and people reaching out to us, they need this done. There's no travel. There's, you know, stay in place order. It, It was crazy. What could we do? We created a smart tour. So we're able to pivot and allow our engineers to, with the help of someone on site, to do a video um, tour with certain measurements done and and kind of take a virtual tour of the property. And that's been very successful. I mean, we've done the past since, I guess, since April, when this all started, we've done, uh, you know, probably about 500 or so of those uh, virtual tours and been very successful. Um, It's helped because you don't need the travel time that's usually involved. Uh, the travel costs can can be involved as well. And so it's it's been a great streamlined process. So that's the first thing. We get an engineer to the site, whether it's on-site physically or virtually. <laughs> uh, we still do on-site visits, but um, we have that option. You keep that recording, I guess, with the file in case there's ever questions. Is that how that? 100%, yeah. Anyways, we include all the time part of our, our analysis, part of the file, the study, that, and that's really the second step, includes pictures, uh, a lot of detailed pictures. Uh, but yeah, they'll come back, create uh, a study based on all the measurements, the pictures, find out everything, make this huge, you know, 90, hundred page report, which is a detailed calculation of all the assets individually, and then grouped together in different depreciation categories. And then that spits out a depreciation schedule, which you hand over to your accountant and, and that's it. I mean, that's really, that's, 
all said and done. So pretty straightforward process. And how long does that typically take for a turnaround? Can take uh, about a week or two to turn around for our operations just because we're so busy. It can take uh, about four to six weeks. And that's what I heard is, you know, COVID maybe was kind of a positive in the sense that it forced you guys into a new business process that might actually be working out better, right? Correct. It's, it's definitely helped us streamline that process. Cutting down the travel time has allowed us to do a lot more, a lot quicker. That's, That's good. Sure. And so going into the, uh, you know, tax implications and I, I, you know, after I receive this report to you, I give this to my CPA, I assume, and they take it from there. I mean, you know, typically what do they do with it? They just plug it into your tax return. I mean, anyways, they take depreciation for each property that you have. So this is really just taking a different number for depreciation. So there's really very, almost nothing for the accountant to do. And how do they break down the other different components of the property in their lifespan? Um, does that make so sense? The, yeah, so the, I, I mean, the IRS delineates that. The IRS has a whole system called the cost recovery system, um, which you know, outlines every single possible thing that can be depreciated and what lifespan it has. So our engineers are trained to know, you know, the fixtures here, the, the wires here, the, um, you know, piping and, you know, et cetera, every last detail, what that is and a sign of value and a life to that, then to create that depreciation schedule already outlined um, into five year, 15, you know, 10 year, 15 year, 27 years. So it's all ready to go. Um, and there's nothing, very little to do. And so how does this study affect someone's tax liabilities for the year? How is it applied? So whatever depreciation, so depreciation is an interesting thing. Like I said at the beginning, it's like a, it's a phantom deduction, meaning it's creating this imaginary deduction that like as if your property is going down in value. So there, but really depreciation is first and foremost used to offset rental property income. So it was created as like an incentive for real estate investors that you're you know, buying rental properties. You can use this tax deduction to offset the rental property income. Okay. So rental property income is considered passive income. These depreciation is considered passive deductions, passive losses. So what happens is, let's say you made $50,000 of net operating income from your properties you can now take, let's say you get $50,000 in depreciation, you now offset your entire tax liability, okay? But what happens if you do a cost segregation study, you do this bonus depreciation and you get like $500,000 in tax deductions and you only have $50,000 of income from your rental properties. So what do you do then? So you have more deductions than you even have income. So there's two things that happen. One is, First thing that happens is it offsets your income. So you have no income tax liability, okay? Zero. But then it creates a passive loss, which means that extra $450,000 in our example is just kind of put into an imaginary bucket, right? An imaginary bank account that either it carries forward and you can use it next year, okay? So you don't lose it. You just don't use it immediately. Or, and this is really where it gets interesting, if you're a real estate professional, and this is probably the greatest rule in the entire tax code, if you ask me. If you're a real estate professional, which means that you spend the majority of your time in the real estate trader business, okay? So if you own rental properties, you're operating them, you're, you're doing that. You're, you're renting them, you're managing them, you're doing renovations, whatever it is, you're involved in the process, brokering, acquiring, even all that stuff. The hours you spend, that's your profession. You can now use those extra losses 
those extra deductions to offset any of your other income from any other source, not just limited to the rental property income. Rather, you can now use this to offset any income from any source that either you or your spouse have. So it's like a huge, huge benefit, especially for those who are real estate professionals. And what is the, you know, for those that are listening, what, what, what is the difference between a real estate professional and I guess a passive investor? Well, they're not necessarily different. I mean, a passive investor, if they're solely a passive investor, meaning they're, they have a full-time job and they're not in real estate because someone can be a passive investor and also be a real estate professional. So they're not mutually exclusive. Um, but you know, just to keep it simple, someone who is not a real estate professional, someone who just has a full-time job and just investing passively, the deductions are only to be used to offset your rental property income. So if you have income from this property or from any other property, your depreciation deductions can be used to offset that. Um, anything beyond that is a passive loss. So again, you can't use it um, to offset other income but it will be carried forward. You can use it next year or future years until you sell the property and then that's released. Uh, however, the real estate professional, like I mentioned, anything beyond your rental property income, you can now use that to offset anything, any other source. So a lot of the real estate professionals out there may have a mastermind courses, something else where they're generating that business ordinary sure. income and they're a real estate professional. Now they can offset that right? With that, dep that depreciation, right? Exactly. Or if you're, you know, a lot of people, they're brokers or they're, you know, they're dealing other things They you know, may have acquisition fees or other types of fees if they're, you know, have investors involved or their spouse is a W-2, you know, worker. You can use that, those deductions to offset your spouse's income, which is crazy. Now, usually whenever you kind of take a depreciation or you have to defer something in life, you always got to pay the piper, as they say, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> At some point. So taking all that up front, how does that affect anything in the long term? That's a great question. As I, as I mentioned uh, before, this is really, it's an incredible strategy. And with any strategy, like you said, you got to pay the piper. There are ways you have to figure out what's, gonna, what's going to be the effect of this in the future. Um, there is something when you sell a property called depreciation recapture tax, which means you have to pay a tax on the amount of depreciation that you took. So you're not necessarily paying the piper or paying back, um, but you are paying a tax on the amount of depreciation you took. Uh, but with any strategy, good strategy comes another strategy to help uh, even do better, okay? especially with taxes. And for whatever reason, the government is very uh, into incentivizing people in real estate. So one thing is something called a 1031 exchange. Okay. When you sell your property with a 1031 exchange, you don't have to pay depreciation recapture tax that gets deferred even further down the road. But there's something even better than that <clears throat> because you're not deferring it. What's even better is that if you're using this strategy and you have multiple properties. Okay. So I mentioned that you can use your depreciation for one property to offset income um, from other properties as well. So too, if you have depreciation from one property, uh, you can use that to offset even depreciation recapture tax or gains on the sale of another property. So if you're doing it right, you may actually be able to never pay income tax whatsoever and not even be hit with the, you know, the capital gains tax, not even be hit by depreciation recapture tax because you're always finding a way to get another property, do another segregation, et cetera. Do you guys have, a, down the road. do you guys have any fear of presidency or anything changing the uh, scene or the rules at all? Or do you guys, you know, what's your take there? 
you know, I, I'm not a, a prophet or a psychic, so I don't uh, necessarily like to make predictions. But, you know, I've seen historically that the government and Congress especially has been, um, you know, for, in favor of real estate and are not quick to change rules um, against real estate. Uh, so I don't think anything is going to mask it. There's also historically every politician says things in the election that they're going to do that they never actually come close to doing. So I don't see really many changes coming, to be That's honest. That's for sure. Now, like when someone's doing a syndication, there's a general partner who's managing the deal and then you have the, your limited partners. Do you ever see a, a situation where maybe it's not so beneficial for the limited partners where the cost segregation study is done or do you think it works for everybody uniformly? It can be different. Uh, there are certain instances, for example, um, you know, cost segregation is great if you have a tax liability. But if you don't have a tax liability, it's not going to help you whatsoever. So a great example of that is people are investing from their retirement accounts. And this is something that's very popular, right? People using their 401ks, they're using their you know, IRAs and self-directing it and putting in real estate investments. That's great. But you should know that if you're doing that, um, if it's already tax you know, free because it's being invested, your money's being invested from a tax shelter or tax-free account, then depreciation doesn't help you. And so you may not have any benefit whatsoever for doing that. And so it might just be uh, a waste of time or energy for the investors. What other benefits, is there any other benefits that we've missed or not covered on this call that, you know, would give reason for somebody to do a study? Um, like I said, the, it's definitely worth checking out, okay? For any property, especially like my rule of thumb, anything purchased for over $500,000, it's worth getting a free analysis to see if it's beneficial. Uh, you know, like I said, it doesn't hurt to get anything for free, right? Uh, people <laughs> like to say, people, some people like to say, you know, that nothing in the world is for free. Well, this is actually free. So <laughs> That's good. All right. So you, if anybody wants at least a free consultation, they can reach out, email you the address, the amount they paid for it, and you could give them a, a free, free study over $500,000 basis, right? Yeah. I've seen a, a software, I don't have in front of me, a site that does this automatic, uh, I guess, valuation on properties under $500,000 for like a $500 report. Is that allowed to be trusted? Right. It says has an audit defense and so forth. Yeah, I think the, the companies that have done this, it's, um, they, they have an added fee for audit defense. Um, and so it comes out that you're not really saving that, you know, saving that much money by getting that done versus getting a full engineering study. Um, because essentially what the audit defense does is that if you were ever to get audited, they have to go and do a full engineering study like you're supposed to in the first place. Uh, so it's kind of someone for, uh, they think there may be lower risk involved in audit for smaller properties. So that's why uh, they might go recommend that. We haven't found that to be that beneficial. Um, again, for the same reason that if you anyways have to get an audit defense, we provide that for free in part of our study. So you're basically paying for the software and then paying for the audit defense. It ends up being pretty much, uh, pretty much the same. Got same it. And where's your, and where'd you say your baseline was at 500,000 and above? Um, we can do lower. It just, like I said, the numbers make sense at that Got point. Got it. Okay. I understand it that. makes a lot of sense at that point. All right. Any final words in regards to the cost segregation studies? Um, I think you need to 
anyone who's listening to this, it's all about education, right? You're learning new things. Don't rely on your accountant to be just dealing with your taxes because unfortunately not a lot of accountants are proactive in terms of tax strategy. So you need to learn different things and then bring it up. And one of my clients says that I asked him, you know, what does he do for this accountant? He, he said, uh, you know, I, I fire my accountant until I find one that, uh, that does what I tell him to do. <laughs> so I know, when, you're, huh? when you're educated enough to know more than your accountant knows, uh, then you can you know, apply strategies that will help you. No, that's great. I greatly appreciate it. And our final question is we have on every episode is what is the biggest thing you've implemented in your life that has increased your net worth? I think for me, I, I always say your network is your net worth. Uh, I feel very strongly to that because it's in a way it's like an insurance policy. If you think about it, because the more you invest in your network and helping people and just being a good person and, and making those solid relationships, if you ever need anything, there are people there for you. Um, and, and I've found it to be true, a tremendous amount. I mean, I heard, I heard this once many years ago from a, a famous podcaster actually, who has had a, a, seven figure, eight figure podcast, one of the most popular podcasts. And he was kicked out of his um, podcast basically by his partners. And he had to start over from scratch and he started over and started over from scratch his own show and built it back up to be literally, you know, revenue over seven figures from just a podcast. And he said that the reason, the way he was able to do that was just from his network was he reached back out to, you know, all those people he had interviewed, the people that he had those relationships with over those years, and he was able to, to build it back up. And I, I really believe that's, that's true. So I, I feel very strongly about that. I feel so many skills that we learn here later in life. Uh, we question why were they not taught when we were younger? And there's a lot of talk around, you know, reforming the education system, right? How could we teach the younger generations the network equals net worth and how to associate with the right people growing up. What's your thought? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, it is a great question there. It really comes by more than anything in education. And I have six kids. So I, I you know, I know this uh, just from, from teaching and parenting, your kids pick up on how you act more than anything else. Um, so teaching is, you know, is one thing, but surrounding them with those people and kind of showing them how important that is, right? Surrounding them with the right people, that's, that's the way to do it. So I like exposing that. them, exposing them to the right uh, people, the right environments. I like that. What is the best way for anybody who wants to reach out to you? Best way to find me is on LinkedIn. It's actually a platform I'm very, very active on. Uh, you can also go to yonaweiss.com. That's uh, where you can find all about my podcast, Weiss Advice, or you can find out cost segregation. Our company is Madison Specs. So we're the largest national cost segregation company. You can go to madisonspecs.com also, or yweiss at madisonspecs.com. Well, thank you, Yona, for coming out today. I appreciate our time. My pleasure, Joe. I appreciate the invite. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.